Hey, welcome back to the Vetted VA podcast, Your Journey Home. We're going to talk about demystifying your loan estimate in this episode. What does that look like? Well, here's a sneak peek of what will be covered with our vetted VA professionals and the experts of our industry speaking on this. Number one, the evolution from the good faith estimate to the loan estimate, why the change was necessary. A breakdown of the loan estimate sections, including key information on rates, points, and locking your interest rate. Understanding your projected payments and escrow details, the significance of your loan terms and expiration dates, and tips to ensure a smooth and transparent loan process. As always, we're not just talking at you, we are here to answer your questions in real time when you need them on our Facebook page, Vetted VA. Just go on there and take a look, find us. Professionals, if you're listening as well, we've got a site for you, Vetted VA for professionals only. Or email us at info at and we'll help you out. Let's not delay any longer. Roll that intro. As usual, I'm joined by a couple of pros here. I've got Jerry Avila and Jessica Wells. We're very West Coast centric tonight. Uh, Jessica is up in Olympia, Washington. And Jerry, you, you're, a, you're a global or a West Coast hopper, I should say. Are you yeah. in Arizona right now? Right now in Arizona, yes. Perfect. So we've got a really important topic tonight. It's understanding your loan estimate. A few years back, we had a change from the good faith estimate to the loan estimate. It's very different. Um, it's a good document, way better than what we had before. We're going to go through the reasons for that, but um, it does lead to some confusion. People don't really understand what it is, what is under their lender's control, what can change, what can't change throughout the process. So we're going to go through all of that tonight, walk you through everything that you need to know. Most importantly, we are here to answer your questions live. So if you have something that you didn't just want a text-based answer out in the vetted VA forum, throw your questions up in the comments at any point through the process, and we will circle back to them, promise them, promise you, we will get all of your questions answered tonight. So if you have anything, definitely throw them up uh, here in the comments. But with that, let's jump into the topic. Jerry, why don't you start us off with what happened to the good faith estimate? Why, why wasn't it so great? And how did we get from there to the loan estimate closing disclosure regime that we have right now? Yeah, I mean, we're basically just looking at the fact that a lot of the information was just everything was jumbled together, all the fees and everything was listed. Um, but there was really nothing holding them to those fees, those numbers or anything like that. And so when they transition to the loan estimate that we have now, we're basically now having to detail out, okay, who's basically charging this? Who's charging that? Where is this money being allocated from? And can you shop for any of these services versus just being told like, hey, this is how it is, this is what you're getting. Um, so that, that's really what uh, the good faith estimate went from to, you know what I mean? So it went from one spectrum to the other about, okay, now being full transparency as to where things are going and where they're coming. And, and really good, good faith. Um, it sounds pretty straightforward, right? You in good faith are giving me an honest and accurate disclosing of the fees that I'm going to pay at closing and what I should be prepared to have. But, uh, I can say, and I know I'm not unique among loan officers. There were deals that we lost or said, well, so-and-so says I'm going to come in with half as much at closing and my rate is a quarter percent lower. Okay. Well, did you get it locked? Do you have it all in writing? Um, uh -huh, yeah, everything's great. And you get a call like two days before closing, Josh, you have to help. It's $10,000 more than they told me. My rate's a half percent higher. The zero points went to two points. Nothing looks the same. So the, the benefit to the new setup is you guys are going to see is it spells out everything in detail. There's nowhere to hide. A loan officer can't go, well, I did my best. Sorry, it is $10,000 more and the interest rate is, is higher. So we've got a slideshow that's going to walk you completely through that. And, and we'll go through the idea of, of tolerances. Um, meaning some of these things can change. Many of them cannot. So there's limits on that that protect you. There can be a change. I mean, let's be realistic. None of us are, are perfect in knowing what every third party fee is, exactly when we're going to close, what a transaction looks like. But the things that we can and should know have zero tolerance. The things that we should be able to get you a pretty close estimate have a little bit of tolerance on there. So we're going to kind of go through that. Jessica, why don't you help us understand the timelines before before when we had just a good faith estimate is hey you got it when you got it and here's this disclosure that shows that we kind of gave you an idea but we're much tighter on timelines 
both with your loan estimate up front and the closing disclosure uh, on the back end. You want to walk us through that? Yeah. So um, the initial loan estimate, they basically have three days once they receive all of your, it's five pieces of important information. You've got your address, loan amount, estimated property value, names, and social. Once they have that, your lender has three days to issue a loan estimate to you. Then if there's any change in anything, because like you said, things change. What if it's a manufactured home that needs an engineer's search or something like that that you didn't know in the beginning? That information we call a change in circumstance, and you have three days to reissue that for a change in circumstance. Um, once you move to the, the closing disclosure or the CD stage, um, that can be issued, depends on the lender, depending on what requirements they have. Some will do it before the appraisal's in, some will do it after that. Um, and then you can you only have so many days reporting changes on that. That has to be signed at least three days prior to you being allowed to sign your final closing doc documents at escrow as well, or attorney, whatever you're closing with. And really tonight, we're, we're just going to go through the loan estimate, but the closing disclosure goes from three pages to five pages. There's a little bit of additional information, but basically what it does is it confirms the data that was on the loan estimate and it shows you, hey, here was what was originally uh, given on your loan estimate. Here's what it actually ended up on the closing disclosure and is it within tolerances? So for the most part, if you understand your loan estimate, you'll be able to understand your closing disclosure at the end. You guys agree with that or see much, yes. much difference there with your CD? So with that, let's let's jump in. Let me pull this up here and go through um, page one. It's kind of boring, but it does have some important information on there. Jerry, why don't you walk us through this this first top part of page one of your loan estimate and what you're going to walk through with your borrowers and what's important to them there? Sure, no problem. So in this case, yeah, like like Jennifer was saying, like we have three days to issue this, right? So you'll you'll see that the date the date of issuing of the loan estimate is has to be within that three-day window. Um, you're going to have the borrower's application, uh, sorry, the borrower's names from the application and the address and then the property address of the one that they're actually in contract for or, or potentially in contract for. And then ultimately the sales price, The uh, all the information has to be exactly to what the contract is going to be. Uh, otherwise, it's pretty much no good. Um, the other part is it's telling you the loan program. Uh, it's telling you if it's a 30-year fixed, if it's telling you if it's a conventional, an FHA, a VA, and everything has to be detailed on there as well as the loan number and whether or not the loan is is locked in the first place. The the big key piece, in my opinion, that I, I always tell everyone pay very close attention to is whether or not that loan estimate is locked because when it's not locked, everything can change. Nothing is is set at all. And that that is the the big and most important part. And, and we've all kind of learned that the hard way. We're going on, what, 17, 18, 19 months of, with very few exceptions, we have a week or two where rates got better. It's been a pretty steady grind higher in, in interest rates. So if that thing does not say that it's locked, that portion can change. So as you see here, um, right under where this one says rate lock, yes, and when is the rate locked through? That, that's sort of a benefit because if we go back to the good faith estimate era, some lenders sent out lock confirmations. Some of them didn't. Some of them, the broker just gets it, puts it in their file, and you're taking their word for it that it is locked and these are the terms and, and how long it's good for. So if you don't lock and you later choose to lock, you're going to get a revised loan estimate that's going to give you those lock terms. So under all circumstances, under the current system, you are going to get confirmation of your lock. But um, I, right where below where it says rate lock, it says before closing, your interest rate points and lender credits can change unless you lock the interest rate. All other estimated closing costs expire on and it gives you a date uh, of expiration. So it's, it's an important piece for you to look at. And really that rate lock is going to relate to just box A. Most of the other stuff couldn't and shouldn't change. And, and we'll go through some, some detail on that. But looking here at, um, the, this is still page one, the, the bottom half of that. Jessica, why don't you walk us through what that's telling us and, and why that's important and sort of beneficial versus what we had in the disclosure system prior to the loan estimate. Yeah, so this one is the next chart right there showing you the projected payment. So looks like this loan estimate was for a conventional program because it's showing you that there's going to be mortgage insurance and it's estimated to be on there for the first seven years. Um, so it's going to give you a breakdown of the payment. It's showing you the principal and interest amount for the first seven years, which should say the same for the full 30 because that's the fixed pay to part of the mortgage. And then this one has the $82 mortgage insurance for the first years one through seven and then your estimated escrow account 
um, the, at the beginning is at $206. So your total monthly payment would be that $1,050. The next box down there is telling you how much they're escrowing, um, which one thing I always like to point out to people about in this box here is sometimes this escrow estimated taxes and insurance and assessments will include your HOA fees. And that's not always included in your monthly payment. So that's one thing. If it is included in this box, it'll say other, but it won't be in that top payment calculation. I've noticed that frequently recently with the HOAs around here. Um, so just keep in mind the top box is showing you what's actually in your monthly payment and the bottom box that estimated taxes and insurance assessment can include other things that you may pay outside of your payment. And let's let's talk about why why that is. Why do we have to have this detail on here? And that was a big portion of the problem of disclosures and the way things were sold. First of all, I think you guys agree, no one should be sold a mortgage. We should be advisors and be advising you and giving you all of the information you need to make the best decisions for your family. But what we're finding, the way disclosures worked previously, Yes, your loan application would show taxes, insurance, HOA, anything else on there, but it was kind of buried. And if you have a good faith estimate that doesn't break that stuff down or break it down well, and then on the loan application, way deep down in the loan, uh, the loan disclosure package, it's there, very easy for someone to gloss over it, talk over it and tell you, yeah, your payment's $761. So we legitimately had people 30 and 45 days into a transaction going, wait, my payment is 1,050? I thought my payment was $761. So with this, hopefully you're taking your time to read through the loan estimate and you can see that breakdown. And when there are HOA dues, it was always very easy for unscrupulous lenders in the past to go, well, the HOA, that's separate. It doesn't get paid to us. Yeah, it's $400 that you need to make uh, a payment on every month, but it doesn't come to us. It's not included in the mortgage payment. That's why you don't see it there. This doesn't happen. Does not happen with the loan estimate. And now you have a complete and thorough breakdown. Page one tells you how much am I borrowing? What is my interest rate? Is it fixed? Is it locked? What do the payments look like, including in my impounds, including my HOA? And the last bit there, it shows you estimated closing costs, estimated cash to close. It really is just pulling the information forward from the next page where it gives us all of that detail. So, you know, page one is very important but pretty simple for you to pick up and follow along um, where I think we get into a little more detail and it's important to, to know everything here is on page two. Um, we talk on the show here fairly regularly. On a purchase, the most important thing you need to look at is box A. It's not that the other fees don't matter, but if you get a loan from me, you get a loan from Jerry, you get a loan from Jessica, most everything there is gonna be absolutely the same other in box A. Jerry, why don't you walk through what goes in box A, your feelings about box A, what what you like to disclose there, how you structure, because it, it can be different. There's different ways of, of doing this, um, different philosophies. We have, we all have a friend here who uh, is embedded VA and is adamant. Box A should always be zero other than any discount points that the borrower believes in paying. I, I really don't care and I'll explain why that is, but why don't you go through it, Jerry, and kind of tell us what your thoughts are and we'll get your feelings too, Jessica. Yeah. So, I mean, in this particular circumstance, I mean, they're charging like a quarter point, right? So it's, we're talking about a quarter percent of the total purchase price. You, the, the whole point of the box A is to show you exactly what you're paying for, for that rate. If it, if it has a zero next to it, awesome. That's great. Uh, does it mean that you're always going to have any of the other ancillary fees that are on there, like an application fee, uh, like it shows there, uh, an underwriting fee, uh, a processing fee, like not every company has all those fees, right? So when you shop uh, between lenders, you're going to get to see a little bit of everything. You're, there's going to be some that uh, that are going to have uh, both underwriting processing and that application fee. Some are just going to have the underwriting fee. And really th those are Unless, especially for us brokers, right? We get an opportunity to shop around to different lenders. Some of them will actually have an underwriting fee that's being charged. Some of them will actually, uh, uh, who are not brokers, right? May may already have an underwriting fee, but then it's built in to their their pricing. So they may charge a little bit more, but it's basically offsetting what their fee would have been. Uh, then you have other lenders who basically show everything right up front as well and um but they add in like like i said the application fee um or any like any sort of um you know just basically process extra processing fees that they charge they just title them differently 
Um, but the, the box A is really there to show you exactly what that lender is charging you for that rate. And um, that's why it's such a critical piece. And that's why it's the most important one that we always go over. It's like, okay, well, how much are they charging you? Um, what are what are what are the fees that they're charging you for there? And how is it that we can go ahead and uh, basically break it down for you and then even do a comparison based off of whatever we have, right? And if we're comparing with another lender that's giving you a loan us. You said some really important things there. Um, box A can have all sorts of stuff in it. I mean, what are some of the other things? You mentioned a processing fee. Sometimes instead of an underwriting and an application fee, it'll say an admin fee. Sometimes it's underwriting and doc fee. I saw an insane one about six months ago. I was reviewing a loan estimate for another one. It said Encompass Technology Fee. So for those of you playing at home, that's the software that we use to process your loans or that many lenders use to process your loans. And there's a fee for it. These guys felt like it should be rolled into the cost that they pass along to the consumer. And my initial response when I see that is that's BS. That should not be done. But I, at the end of the day, I said, why do I care? What if that, they had the absolute lowest rate in the world and they wanted $100 for their Encompass technology? So where I go with that is... I don't care what they list there. I don't care what they call it, origination fee, application fee, discount. If we go back to page one, and just again, for you guys watching at home, page one says interest rate right there, plain as day. It says that it's locked. And then over here on page three or page two, everything in box A, add it up. And you, the, the, the form does it nicely for you. Origination charges, and it has a total there. Just call it points. Those are the points that you are paying for that interest rate. And I think a really important thing that everyone needs to know is I will always start my quoting process with zero points so that we have a baseline. Then we can talk about, do you want a lender credit? We can go higher. Do you want to pay something in box A? Now we can go lower. But starting with that, I'll get, when you get these shoppers, frequently shoppers are shopping for the lowest rate and they have no idea what that actually means in the real world. So they go out and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I got a better rate. Okay, cool, what rate is that? Uh, it's whatever. And go, okay, and how much are you paying for that? I don't know. Well, then how do you know you got a better rate? If you don't know what is in box A and what that total is, you have no idea. And oftentimes we'll get, well, I'm not paying any points and it won't say uh, discount points. It'll say origination fee, okay. It's 1% of the loan amount. Does it matter if they're calling it discount points or they're calling an origination fee? So it's all rather silly. And you can eliminate all of the silliness by saying, what is the interest rate? What are the box A fees? And truly don't care what you call it. Call it anything you want. So if we're going to compare and shopping is the most important thing and the, the lowest rates and fees, then we have to look at box A plus the total interest rate. Jessica, you you have anything to add on that? We, we all do. The, the box A, uh, if you're an originator, you talk to borrowers, box A is the most important thing and the most misunderstood and the most not manipulated because we can't manipulate it anymore in terms of how it's disclosed to a borrower. A, an unscrupulous lender cannot manipulate this. They have to disclose it to you correctly, but they can sell around it, talk around it in different ways. What do you see in your market, Jessica? Well, I, I, the same thing you were just talking about is people like, oh, I got a lower rate than you offered me. I got this much. Well, then you go look at their box A and they've got 2.9% discount fee in there. So yeah, you got a lower rate, but you're almost paying three points to get there where I was giving you a quarter percent higher and no cost to you. So it's that's what you need to compare when you're looking at rates. And if you see somebody that's offering you a lower rate, then go check your box A. Maybe, and I always tell people, if you can lock it in and it really has nothing in box A, then go for it. But for the most part, I've seen if it's too good to be true, if the rate's that much lower and there's no cost in there, they're going to come back and tell you you couldn't lock it. So if it's not locked and box A is, does not have ridiculous fees in there, then tell them to lock it because that's the best deal you're going to get out there is what I, I'll tell people that every time they give me a comparison. But like you said, anything that the lender is specifically charging for their own process can go in there. I've seen, like you said, the encompass fee. I saw one the other day that was a doc review fee from the lender and a redraw fee, which I'm like, I haven't seen those in 10, 15 years, a redraw fee, but they can put whatever they want into that box. So just compare the bottom line, or they actually guess it's technically the top line where it says origination charges, whatever that line is against the other lender, because that's your best comparison right there. Uh, yeah, just to, just to throw something in there about box A, right? Like once it's locked, like that can't change. 
it cannot be modified. The only th only time it can change is when you're going to decide to go ahead and say, okay, you know what? I decided after thinking about it for a while, I want to lower my rate further. Then we're going to have to increase the points, obviously, because we're going to have to now go back to that same day's rate sheet and, and basically charge the difference of that rate that they decided to go. So they do the change of circumstance and then that can change. Otherwise, that, that those numbers have to stay exactly as they are. And we talked about at, at the top of the show, tolerance for each section and that like Jerry's saying zero tolerance once the thing is locked barring you know i suppose if you went out and you change a new credit report had to be pulled a valid change of certainly could the pricing could change from from that perspective but essentially box a unchangeable once you get it on a locked loan estimate that is what you are going to pay don't get hung up on what they're calling it. Look at the total for box A and the interest rate and make sure that matches up with what you want to do. If you're looking for a zero point rate, make sure you're getting a zero point quote. Don't have someone telling you that an origination fee is not points. It, it is points. And we do see that stuff fairly regularly. Jessica, why don't you walk us through box B? Um, this can be a little bit confusing sometimes for consumers because there's some things in there that, wait, you, the lender, are picking them. But why don't you walk through what shows up in there um, and, and what that means for a borrower? So box B is technically third-party fees. So it's anybody that provides a service on behalf of you or the lender during the process. Um, a lot of times, I mean, always your appraisal fee is going to be the in there unless you have a deal that's an appraisal waiver or an EARL that wouldn't require an appraisal. Um, you're going to see your credit report fee in there. Um, lots of lenders will do a flood, either flood determination fee is called on there, flood certificate fee, something like that allows them to pull a flood certificate just to make sure your home's not in a flood zone. Um, so that way they know whether or not they need to have flood insurance. Um, your tax service fee allows the lender to collect your tax statements on your behalf. So it's a service that gets paid for. Um, those things are all items that are not directly provided by the lender, but on behalf of you for the lender, basically, is what how I explain it to my borrowers. And pretty much, would you agree that every lender, they have a provider they're going to work with. So they're going to pick the appraisal management company for the appraisal. With a VA, we go directly to the VA. The VA assigns the appraiser. Probably in the context of having this discussion with VA loans, it's important to note that the VA has a fee schedule for the appraisal. So if you're talking to a lender and you're comparing options and one of them has a much lower fee for an appraisal, someone's wrong. Either someone's over-disclosing uh, the fee or under-disclosing the fee because that is dictated by the VA. So all of those fees there are things that have to occur in the file. The lender gets to pick who is going to do it. You don't really get to, to shop for them. Um, how about box C? When we switch over there, what does that look? Sure. I can add one thing on box B. That's also where you're going to see the VA funding fee, which nobody shops for that. That's just what the VA charges. So since we're looking at a conventional one, it doesn't show it on here. Um, so if you're exempt and see a funding fee in there, that's something to ask your lender about. Or if you're not exempt and don't see one in there, that's also something to ask your lender about because they're over or under disclosing for some reason or not another, maybe intentionally, maybe accidental, but that's and something else that's generally in box B as well that I don't see on here looking at it. So within the context of VA loans, box B is probably the one that, that's unique that veterans should be looking at more so than uh, a non-veteran just because we're going to make sure we have the correct appraisal fee and we have the correct funding fee, which is going to be kind of far and away um, other than if you were paying a bunch of discount points, the biggest fee or charge that you're going to see uh, in here. So if we roll into box C, what what falls uh, in there? I mean, these are now now we can shop for them, but, but maybe roll us through what what are they? And despite the fact that it says you can shop for them on a purchase transaction, why can you really not shop for them once you have uh, a purchase agreement? Yeah, so your box C is going to be all of your um, like title and escrow fees generally are included in there. So I. My line of reasoning of why it's something you can shop for it's because it's in Washington, at least it's directed on the purchase and sale by you and the seller. So effectively you shopped for whatever you may not have actually gone out and shopped for, but you chose that that service provider. Um, pest inspections, stuff like that, um, engineers inspections and things like that. Like I mentioned for manufactured homes, those go down in boxy if there's somebody that you selected. Um, other states have the survey fees that are in there. Um, those are all fees that you can potentially shop for in the beginning, but once you've got your purchase and sale agreement set up, they're pretty much lined up and you don't get, I have had borrowers go out and shop for title after the fact and done their own title report. So it is possible to still shop that box, but generally it's outlined on your purchase and sale agreement. 
If if it's in the contract, you could you could go out and shop for it. Say you got the greatest title quote ever in the history of the world. It's in the contract. If the seller says no, I don't want to use that title company. We have a ratified purchase agreement. It is a valid contract signed by everyone there. So any changes to that have to be agreed uh, upon uh, by all of the parties there. Um, we are not in a market where very many people are doing refinances or a few cash out refinances out there not really any earls because you must have been living under a rock if you missed that opportunity uh and see an opportunity with rates where they are currently but jerry how does box c differ on a refinance transaction let's say you are doing an earl is that something that you ask your borrower hey let me know who you want to use for escrow and title or more commonly what does that look like yeah you, you typically will give them a little bit of a kind of like a leeway and say, hey, you know what, if you if you have a particular title uh, in escrow company you want us to use, let me know. Otherwise, here's uh, who I would normally deal with in these type of transaction. And it's just more of a comfort level type situation. But as long as it's being disclosed and pr properly provided to them right up front, um, those numbers should really not change. Uh, the only time that I've ever, and I will say even from my own experience, right, like where I've had those numbers change is because I'm quoting based off of one title title company, but then uh, I ultimately based off of what I find out, like if I see that they're like just swamped and they can't handle the transaction, I may have to swap it to another title company. And ultimately as we just end up um, quoting one title companies versus a different one, and then ultimately having to adjust those numbers to that title company. But other than that, I mean, those numbers really shouldn't, shouldn't vary too much. Um, most of them are going to be right around the same amount, um, you know, for their to total charges. Some of them do are a little bit, you know, more expensive um, than others. But, you know, you just ultimately have to know who you're partnered up with. And those fees are generally going to be, um, you know, only, uh, you know, only a, less, a lesser amount of fees just because you're not going to have the seller's title. Um, you're not you're not going to have some of those fees that are typically there um, from the seller's. And, and that, that's really the only main, the main differences you'll see on box C. Is that, that pretty similar for you, Jessica? Yeah, I agree pretty much exactly with that. The one thing I know that if um, you, we can bring up the, in order for it to be a tolerant, no tolerance in there, the buyer has to have picked a service provider that you didn't give them. So as a lender, we're required to give a list of service providers that provide these options that they can shop for. If they choose somebody who is not on our list, that's the only time that the tolerance box C is a 10% tolerance fee of the cumulative amount. And that's the only time is if they actually picked a different title company, could that fees change dramatically more than 10%. And let's look at that. This example here, it's, it's fairly, fairly um, exemplary of what you might see. Box C is 3,100 bucks. So let's say that it was, you didn't go out and choose your own. So you were subject to that 10% tolerance. Those fees can change because they aren't directly under the lender's control. The lender's making the disclosure. They don't control it, but we're talking about 300 bucks here. You're not getting a shock at closing that, oops, we were off by five grand. Um, what I will say kind of on, on the refinances, I don't know if this varies a whole, whole bunch from you guys. We have two or three um, escrow and title companies that we have bundled fees that are negotiated down because we know you're, you're going to go out and shop. When someone says they want to shop in general, what they want is they want really low fees on that. So we have two or three that we have really low negotiated fees and we want to keep as much business with them as possible, not because we want to keep them in business because really refinance business for an escrow company is not super profitable. They're, they're almost willing to say, we'll do it as an accommodation to keep you loan officer happy and keep you working with us on a regular basis. So it's not that it's a profit center, but it's that we have a workflow. You have an expectation that this process is going to go smoothly, efficiently, and that you can trust it. So what makes it hard is if you go, hey, my aunt works at a, a, a settlement company uh, up in Northern California. Can you do the closing with them? Yeah. And I've had this that literally we get their fees. And you're like, okay, you're paying $700 more to work with Aunt Sue than what our negotiated fees are. And we're going to go outside of our system and work with these guys 800 miles away, which again, you, we're working with people online. Dis you could be on the other side of the country other than time zones. There's no problem over distance. Um, but it's just, we, we all get used to how everyone works. So absent a really big savings, I don't know that it's worth shopping for those things as long as your lender has shopped for it. I do still see when we were in a refinance market, every now and again, you would get a loan estimate from another lender over and you go like, 
what in the world are they doing with a $1,500 escrow fee on a VA Earl? Like, what are we talking about here? So you, you do want to check it to keep them honest, but you just say, maybe you make a couple of phone calls and go, hey, are these fees good? Because I don't know that you're going to have escrow and title companies saying, please, please, please give us that business because it is not incredibly profitable business. Everyone wants your business, but it's thin margin business when you're in a refi market. So with that, I want to talk here about box E because to me, box E is misplaced on the loan estimate. In general, it's a really good document. It, it breaks things out better so you can see what these things are and where they're going. Um, but it's taxes and other government fees. In general, everything on the left side are closing costs, costs that because you're buying this house, because you're doing this refinance, you are paying them. Well, box F, G, and H are things that are going to recur. They're, they're truly prepaid. So to me, it's a little bit silly. Box E should go to the other side because actually I'll close the loop. We didn't. Um, what you see down there is box D is the total of box A, B, and C. To me, box E should be box D and box E should be this total because then we could say, what are your closing costs? What are your prepaid? So it's just a little quirk of it. It doesn't much matter as long as you know it. But what goes up here, um, recording fees and, and other taxes. So when um, on a purchase, the, the deed from the property coming over to you uh, needs to be recorded. Your deed of trust or your mortgage, depending on what state you're in, needs to be recorded. And believe it or not, um, there are some areas and localities where a buyer does pay some transfer taxes or you can agree to it. You see a lot of the builders will say, hey, you're, pay you're paying the transfer taxes even though we don't see that in a normal transaction. So that's what shows up in, in box E. Um, Jerry, why don't you walk us through the differences between box F and box G? Because I'll play, I'll play borrower, devil's advocate here. I, I hear this all the time. What are you doing here? I got insurance in box F. You're charging me again in box G. I got taxes. What in the world is all that? Why am I paying you twice? Yeah, so in, in general terms, I, I usually tell everyone, your homeowner's insurance premium, you're paying up the first, the first year up front anyway. And then you're having to preload it for the upcoming um, taxes, right? That are going to be drawn out. So you have to start front loading that account. Um, and so when you're talking about box F, you're going to have not only the, the homeowner's insurance premiums, but you're also going to have the property taxes um, that are, um, uh, sorry, the prepaid interest. I'm sorry, not the property tax, uh, prepaid insurance or interest that you're actually going to be seeing uh, charged based off of the amount of days between from the date of closing and until um, until the uh, first payment or, or first uh, official funding date, right? So you're you're going to have let's say it's from the 15th to the first, and you're closing on the 30th, then you're you're going to have those days of interest. That's kind of the way it shows here, actually. Um, and then let's just say it's three days. You know, you're you're closing at the end of the, uh, at the end of the tail end of the month, and you're on day 26. You're only going to count. Let's say it's up to 30 days that month. You're only counting from the 26th to the 30th, and so you're going to take that per day, uh, the per diem basically, and multiply that times the six days, and that's what those numbers look like. Um, some lenders will do their best to try to minimize fees and costs by basically reducing that down to a couple days because they, they, they want it. They want their, their loan estimate to look the cheapest out of all of them available. Uh, and they'll shorten it by months or by days based off of, you know, which category. And, and Jerry, if they do that, they're minimizing the quote. They're not minimizing any fees or costs. Cause again, go to Jessica, go to Jerry, go to Josh. These are going to be what they are going to be. None of us have any control, but magically there are people out there that quote those boxes as low as possible or, lower than possible and go oops we 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 messed up sorry it wasn't under my it's control an illusion. that's what i was telling people <laughs> like it's an illusion they're just trying to, they're just hey they're making you look left when they're going right that's all it is um and and to to be honest i mean even for myself right when i when i'm looking at loan estimates i always tell everybody right up front hey look just know i'm gonna quote a little bit higher just because i'd rather not have that worry with the tolerance Right. And I, I literally will tell you, I'm likely going to charge or show on there about a thousand bucks more in fees. And, and it's just because I'm covering myself from title escrow, um, the, the insurance, all of that stuff. Like you, you're going to have to look at everything and look at the cumulative number. 
right? And ultimately, that's what a lot of people are paying attention to. But if I'm telling you up front, hey, look, I know that these numbers look a little high, but just know that this is why. Um, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna want to see a tolerance issue, right? I, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to end up having to be on the hook for, for, uh, for those deficits. Um, so ultimately, I want to make sure that I'm being, like, totally transparent on that front, um, right, right, right at the get. And that is kind of why I, I just can't repeat it often enough on this show. When you are shopping for a mortgage on a purchase, really, it's box A and the interest rate because this is going to be what it is going to be. It can be manipulated. People can misquote it to you. Um, people can take their chances on whether they're going to have a, a tolerance cure. Well, what I will say, a lot of it's just a philosophy. Some people feel like I would rather explain to you at the end why you're going to bring in more than what I initially told you, because now we're already into this transaction. That's not so much with a loan estimate, with an initial quote. Someone's giving you a fee sheet saying this is what you should be prepared with. The loan estimate sets those tolerances so we don't have a lot of variance. But really, when you're talking to someone, what are your box A charges and what is your interest rate? And if I didn't want to pay anything in box A, what is my interest rate? If I didn't want to pay any points in box A, what is, is my interest rate? Because everything else is dictated by lender policy or by the contract. Um, and these things, like it, it's interesting. Many of us, I mean, Jerry, your, your tag there shows you're in California, Arizona, Texas, and Colorado. If we are, you have a buyer in Texas that is closing on a $400,000 house in November. And I have a buyer that's closing in California on a $400,000 house in November. Are box F and box G, box G going to be the same or those vary by state? Those are always going to vary by state. Um, I, I think the, the biggest surprise for me has been really um, just some of, some of like the other fees, right? Like the, the, the ones you can shop for and the ones you can't shop for, because there's going to be certain surveys and certain things like that that are going to pop up from state to state. And they're, they're, once they vary, they vary. And there's really nothing you can do other than ha have somebody who's knowledgeable and understands what those differences are going to be state to state. Jessica, you're, you, you work in, in more states than Washington, right? You have a I'm I'm just in Washington and Florida. I'm licensed. I don't do much in Florida. I just heard family in Florida has some I, real. I should have remembered. You cover the corners. You only cover yeah. the top left and the bottom right. Everyone else, I don't have time for. <laughs> yeah. No, Florida has some real interesting. It's very, very different when you compare a Washington loan estimate to a Florida loan estimate because they have very different transfer taxes and very different city taxes and county taxes and all kinds of things that are different between the two of them there. Yep, and, and, we, <laughs> and we we have a lot of a lot of lenders who I mean it's a tighter market. So if you're in if you're only in California, I've always said California has forty percent of the volume in the country. There are higher loan amounts, more volume. I don't need to be in any other states. Well, affordability is a bigger problem in California than it is anywhere else. So there are more entry level first time buyers, VA buyers in other states. So. We basically cover everything that has a Pacific time zone and a couple that are e even central. Um, and it is essential, like of all these things that change specifically related to the loan estimate, it's it's how the things on the right side. Yeah, title and, and escrow can be a little bit different depending on how they close. Some states you'll look at like, how is that title insurance so cheap? And you're well, escrow is really expensive or settlement is really expensive or vice versa. So it is very important that the person that you're working with doesn't have one little spreadsheet set up that they disclose and go, here's your fees, because it can be really, really different. Uh, if you're looking at new construction, it's very important that they know, hey, what does your contract say? Because those can look very, very different. You can be paying things um, on your loan estimate and on your closing disclosure that you wouldn't see in a standard transaction between you and uh, a seller. So Jessica, why don't you tell us what uh, what buyers need to know, what borrowers need to know about Box H uh, other and and I this one I always my brain always goes blank of all of the things that could show up in here. So let's see if you guys are better than I am at remembering some of the other things that might show up in Box H. Um, Box H, I actually is is things that are um, I've had home inspections show up in Box H. I just have a brand new one that I've never seen today, and it's not a VA loan. Um, but the buyer is paying one and a half percent of the real estate agent's commissions. So that's showing in box H. So it's um, and, and the owner's title policy is showing on this one, which that generally the, the title is paid by the owner in Washington state. So that's or the seller. 
Um, there's, I'm, I'm not even sure what else can go in there um, other than like home warranties I've seen in home there. Warranties. Um, HOA transfer fees, HO, HOAs usually come with a whole slew of fees when they're moving over. And so those usually go into box H. Um, it's anything that isn't specifically loan related is kind of how I describe it. It's stuff that you have to pay when you're purchasing it, no matter what type of loan that you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like with your TC fees and things like that, where you have an agent that has a transaction coordinator where they're handling all their paperwork. They'll do that in there. They'll throw in sometimes those, um, what do they call them? Like the document, uh, like secure document fee, where they're basically saving your documents for you. Um, and, and you know, because, I mean, God forbid, like you have a paper copy um, or that you get an emailed copy. Um, they they will store it in their in their in their systems and then charge you like a crazy $400 fee uh, to do so. So yeah, it's stuff like that. Um, sometimes it's even the brokerage like has a, a particular fee that they want to charge um, and stuff like that, that. Those are some of the ones that I've seen as well on, on Box H. So we actually have a couple questions here and I'm going to circle back because it relates back to this slide. Um, Willing says, is your mortgage insurance, monthly insurance premium accounted in the escrow monthly payment. So um, I don't remember whether it was Jessica or Jerry when we went through it, but you can see it right here, the mortgage insurance, the, if you have monthly mortgage insurance on a VA loan, we don't have monthly, so there's nothing going to show up there. But if you have the type of loan that has a monthly mortgage insurance, it gets disclosed here. So again, loan officer can't say, oops, forgot about that one, that $240 a month that you're going to pay. Um, this one, not really VA related, not loan estimate related, but Willing also asks, um, if you have a property in your business name, but you want to put it in your personal name, do you need a whole new mortgage or refi? Uh, or can you simply do a quick claim? Um, and then also kind of a follow-up, can you use rental income for an investment property in a business name for rental income on a loan application? I don't know about you guys, but I get sort of this line of questioning fairly regularly. Hey, I want to buy an investment property, but I don't want it in my name. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set up an LLC. They went to a course or they saw something online. Hey, it's an investment property. Someone could trip and fall and pale themselves going down the stairs. I don't want the liability. Um, Jessica, what do you generally advise when people are asking about entity vesting for, for properties versus owning it as an individual or a trust? Um, so I've done a lot of investment loans in the past, and I know a lot of in and lenders that I work with, especially, will not allow you to close a loan in the LLC name. There are a few of them out there. Most of them are a lot of the non-QM or non-conforming type loans will let you do them in an LLC. Um, you can, um, as long as you own the entity after closing, you can quick claim deed that entity onto title with you. Um, and I, some of my buyers have done that after closing. Um, but generally speaking, on a regular loan, especially a VA loan, they will not let you close that in an LLC. Um, so I've seen it. It's just, it's become a more of a hot question lately because of all of those videos and classes and TikToks and things people are seeing about rental properties. Um, but your basic answer to that is no, you can't close in an LLC, but you do. I would talk to your local authorities about your local county or whatever what the requirements are for investing it into an LLC after the fact, because I know it varies on area of how you can do that. And you know what I want to kind of go back to? So deeding it, no one can stop you from deeding it from yourself to anyone else, to uh, another entity, but that can be considered a sale. So I don't know how that impacts the due on sale if you put it into an LLC. Generally, if you keep making the payments, due on sale clauses are very rarely enforced, but you, you are technically in violation of your, your contract per the deed of trust there as soon as you change that. And what I can say is it can be a pain in the butt taking it out of the entity and putting it back into an individual if you do get into a refinance market where you want to get a lower rate or you want to get cash out. So there certainly are benefits of owning a property inside an entity, but there's also complications in terms of not having all of your loan options available to you going in and out of the trust. For us in California, where we have Prop 13 protections against property taxes going up, confounds that also when you have these transfers and they want to see who's the underlying beneficial interest. So probably way more detailed than you actually wanted when you asked that question. <laughs> but um, that's that's what we've got. We have one here that's more of a comment. Practitioner Her says, wish there was a listserv in my area with VA FHA buyers wanting to swap homes in terms of assumptions. And I think this was actually a topic that came up inside of the, the group today. Um, we did a show um, 
if you're interested in going back and hearing about assumptions, VA loans are assumable. We did a show entirely on that. And one of our professional agents who's actually in the state of Washington has done three assumptions. And the interesting part about that is it was all uh, veterans to veterans. So someone PCSing out, selling to someone PCSing in. Um, it was a fairly recent uh, sale. So there wasn't, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity built up in there. Um, it, and so they do happen. It, it's it's very easy for us as loan officers to go, hey, I've never seen one. We don't get involved in them. We did, there's, there's no role for us in that process and no pay for us in that process. So what happens is your realtor ends up wearing all the hats on that and hoping to facilitate that uh, assumption. But they do happen out there and it would be good, great if there was a, a better way to sort of promote them and make them more available and accessible, uh, make sellers and buyers able to, to find one another. So um, on the topic of the loan estimate, anything you guys feel like we, we haven't gone through here? Actually, we didn't. I didn't go through page three. So Jerry, Jerry, I'm going to give you the honor of, of talking <laughs> about the uh, wonderful and uh, often neglected third page. And you'll soon see why, because there's not a whole lot of useful information here. Yeah, no, there isn't. I mean, unfortunately, it, it throws a lot of numbers at people that are they're just not ready for. Um, and so really what you're wanting to pay attention to really, in my opinion, right, it's it's the APR. The APR is basically telling you, okay, based off the rate, I think this one was what, a 3875. So we're talking about in total fees and costs, right, associated with the loan, the total cost rate or annual uh, percentage rate has increased because of all those costs, right? And so that is basically looking at 3875 to now 4.2, 4.274. So that, that being the case, then you're now looking at an increase of almost, what is it? Uh, a little over half. three eighths, a little over yeah, three eighths. About three eighths, yeah, about three eighths of a point. Um, and so that that's, I would say that that's a typical amount of, of uh, cost. I would say even up to half a point uh, is is probably going to be starting to get excessive. Um, but it depends on what the individual was doing, what how why they wanted to get down to that rate, right? Because obviously sometimes a lot of people now, especially now with rates being as high as they are, some people are wanting to buy down that rate even though they don't have to. Um, uh, you know, I'll recommend maybe, you know, capping yourself at about a point, but it just kind of depends on the individual. And so those fees, those for that amount that you're coming in with in total cost for that loan obviously has an effect on your APR. And that that's really where I tell everyone, just pay attention to that number. Um, the total interest paid that, that you're talking about the total loan term, right? So, uh, for the majority of the people that I've ever known, uh, they're not likely going to stay in that loan for 30 years. So these numbers really are not going to be helpful. Um, well, the, the Jerry, five years, Jerry, mm -hmm. yeah, let, let's talk about that one. I mean, both yeah. of them, like five years. Okay. Is, is it useful? I mean, the, is, you're not going to sit here and compare multiple loans. Most likely you're not even going to get a loan estimate from anyone that you're not getting a loan from. You're probably going to get a fee sheet. You don't have this. So you just can have this one. You're like, Oh, that's cool information. One that I think is interesting and relevant today, that total interest percentage, that was a new one when the loan estimate came out. The government loves making up numbers and going, this will help people. Total interest percentage. Well, is 69.45 good, bad, somewhere in the middle? Does it matter? So you just mentioned 3.875 interest rate. What does that look like, Jerry, on a 7% interest rate loan? Oh, God. I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you the calculation, man. It's, it's, that's just craziness. Um, it's, you're, it, nobody's paying. Nobody's going to be paying attention to those numbers because nobody holds on to that loan for that long. No one holds the loan that long. And I'll, I'll cut to the chase. At 7%, it's way over 100%. So you're going to pay more in interest if you kept that loan. So you're the mythical person who gets a loan, puts their head in the sand, and just pays for 30 years and never takes advantage of any refinance. And market. only paid it on the day one that it was due. That That's also if you paid on the first day of every month when the payment was due. That's the kind of interest you pay. Because now no if you pay any other day, you've got a whole nother net calculation in there also. So, let's so if, we, if we found that one purple unicorn that is going to do that, they're going to be way over a hundred percent right now. So I hear people say, that's insane. I'm, I'm borrowing $300,000 and I'm going to pay you back $800,000. I'm just going to keep renting. That's stupid. So, okay. Well, <laughs> we've given you a number to arm you with a fact that can work against you. Because if you sit here and say, 
since going back 24 years or so, I would have to look at my chart. We're going back 24 years, average rent increases in the United States are 3.64% a year. Take your rent today, increase it 3.64% a year for 30 years, add it all up, and it is a much more awful number than that. Now, I would love a time machine so we could have 52%, 68%, 71% in that box. But the fact that it's 110, 120, 150, 200% is not relevant. You have to put a roof over your head. And we have seen over time that rent increases will increase at a rate slightly above the rate of inflation, about 1% above inflation. And when you give that little bit of increase a long time to run, it's an ugly number. And you don't want to find yourself 55, 65, 75 years of age not owning a home and subject to your landlord going, hey, guess what? Inflation was up 2.5%. Your rent is going up 3% this year. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the last few things this box just kind of tells you, this is sort of the, the other considerations. That's a catch-all, again, of things that loan officers were not disclosing to their borrowers. So this one we can see is not a VA loan. It says will not allow assumptions. So FHA and VA will, most adjustable rates will, most fixed rate, Fannie, Freddie, uh, otherwise are not going to, to allow you to do that. It says you have to have an appraisal. It says you have to have homeowner's insurance. It says if you don't make your payment on time, you're going to make a late payment. Um, a reminder, this one is my personal favorite here, refinance. Refinancing this one will depend on your future financial situation, the property value, and market conditions. You may not be able to refinance that loan. If it sounds obvious and simple and crazy that we would have it on that document, just flash back to 2004 when people were saying, hey, I know you're lying and saying you make money you don't make. I know you can't possibly afford this payment, but what we're gonna do is before this adjusts in two years, the value is gonna go up more and we're gonna refinance it. I'm gonna make another commission and it'll all be fine. So that's just a reminder. That's the subtext there of what that is saying is there is no guarantee that either market conditions or your financial condition or the value of the property will allow you to refinance going forward. And then the servicing, that's almost always going to be that we intend to transfer the servicing. Um, they just don't want to lock themselves into saying, hey, we're going to portfolio this and keep it for the, the next 30 years. So have, we, we've gone through. Yes, ma'am about so if you have an interest rate if say you've got two quotes from the, from two different lenders with their with their box a and the interest rate the thing you want to compare to is the apr because the apr is your shopping tool the one with the lower apr that's with the same interest rate is charging you less fees overall that's what they was intended was a shopping tool nobody can understand because there's only certain fees that are included in that apr but the closer you are to that whatever your, this one was 3.875. So we talked a little over th uh, three eighths difference. If you're at the same, that means they're not charging you with those box A fees. So if that's the same number and box A is blank, then you're right. Otherwise you have questions to ask why their APR is the same when they have two points in fees. <laughs> I'll, I'll play devil's advocate there. It also relies on the lender having their software set up correctly, which correct. probably 95, 98% of the time that is correct. Um, but it's still no guarantee because it's garbage in, garbage out. And those settings in the loan origination software are user selectable. So whoever is their admin for their loan origination software is saying, is this a prepaid finance charge that goes into the APR or not? So those can be manipulated. But definitely correct if you're going note rate to note rate lower apr is is going to be better for you there so i think we've done a pretty darn good job covering all three pages making it as simple as possible you know we are now to the part of the show where i like to go around the horn do a catch-all anything else loan estimate related that you want to share um current market related any tips tricks advice you have for our vetted va viewers out there um, Jessica, we will go ladies first and we'll leave Jerry on the hot seat last. Um, I just, if you're getting loan estimates, if you're getting quotes from different lenders and you've gotten far enough to get loan estimates from them, you want to make sure that you're, if you're trying to compare, compare on the same day, because as we've seen lately right now, rates are going up and down, not up, not down as much as they're going up, but rates are pressing <laughs> regularly. Um, so say you've got a quote from, from lender A, last monday and now you're getting a quote from lender b today on or tomorrow on wednesday and you're comparing they could be vastly different so compare apples to apples when you're comparing and try to get them as close to the same day as you can i know that's difficult to do but just 
compare apples to apples, I guess, is my main comment there. <laughs> what do you got for us, Jerry? Yeah, I mean, just piggybacking on what Jessica said, when, you, when you're going to do uh, a comparison, you, you do really do have to make sure when you're looking at um, the, the quote where they're trying to match it up to the same, like where you're, you're dictating, okay, or I want to know how much it's going to, or what rate I can get if I get it at no cost, or if I want it at 1%, like you, you got to be able to tell that lender like where you want to be. So that way, when they quote you something, you can take that to the next lender. And as long as it's on the same day within the, the that same few hours, um, ideally, right. You, you want to make sure that it's within that, that same uh, span of time, just because like we said, rates are rates are increasing all the time right now. Today, I think we had a, a one or two different. Uh, no, I think it was just one uh, rate hike uh, throughout the day. But I mean, we're seeing this constantly. And so, if you were getting a quote in the morning and then getting a quote from somebody else at night, like that quote may not be any good either, um, because now you're having to go back to the first one, get another quote, just because the market has shifted. And so, those kind of things are you need to look at. You need it, like I said, you need to pay attention to whether or not you're giving them the same parameters. Because if you're not, then you're not being fair to either one of them. Like you're gonna get, um, you're gonna get one person's opinion versus another's of what's best for you. Um, ultimately, once you do that, then you can get into the you know the nuts and bolts of it all. Um, I always tell everyone like, ask the lender, okay, if if I take X rate, how much would it be for this? And then what's the lowest rate I can get based off of X cost? Because ultimately, you'll get at least both scenarios explained out and know exactly what your fees and costs are going to be. Um, and and ultimately, that that should save you. Um, like in, in in my my case, right? I always look at what what's the difference in cost between one rate and another and if it's worth doing it if you're you know if it's less than a point let's say and you're 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 looking at a rate that's three quarters better um, only because that lender in particular is shopping that or is is trying to really sell that bucket and then go for it man that's a that's a win in your in in you as the consumer's case you know kind of where i like to close this it's it's very easy to say and i will generally say you talk to three reputable lenders, you talk to the three of us, you're gonna be able to throw a blanket over our quotes. They're not all gonna be identical, but they're gonna be very, very similar. We're all brokers, we're all shopping many sources, many of the same sources, and we're pretty similar in terms of what our margins are, meaning what's the profit that we want to make to do a loan. And inside of that, where I was going with that, we also know that the vetted VA team and Christopher Griffith have gone through and run the numbers and we've seen the spread, especially for veterans. There are lenders. I like to say, I remember back in the nineties when there was no internet for comparing loans, we, you could email and you could look at a janky website, but there wasn't like cool places where you could see up to the minute quotes. You couldn't look at the optimal loan mortgage market index. I would see people and I would go, how in the world did you get charged two points for a rate a half percent above the market? And they told me it was a good rate. And they're like, okay, okay, it was hard. It was hard then. In today's day and age, it is not hard. So most reputable lenders are going to be in a fairly narrow range. We could make generalizations about different channels having different price structures, and that is that is true. Um, so it is important that you talk to at least more than one lender. You have no point of reference. Those those people who were paying half percent too high and paying a couple points, they only talked to one person and that person told them, no, this is a great rate. If you talk to two, you, you at least have a point of reference. So where I would go back to is say, you're asking the wrong question if you're saying, who's going to give me the cheapest loan? Mm -hmm. It's a commodity. So yes, the loan at the end of the day is going to be the same loan, but we have survivor bias here in terms of the selection process for those who are in vetted VA. So again, if we go back and you get a quote from me, from Jerry, from Jessica, you can throw a blanket over those quotes. They're gonna be very similar. And in that situation, you may be able to say the best one for me is the cheapest one, because as you've seen over the last hour, we have three people that both understand and have a heart to explain and, and go through that. So what I tell people is you want competitive terms from someone who will listen, cares, and will take the time to explain everything to you. Because whether this is your first home or your fifth, you don't do this every day. And if you don't do something but once every five, seven, 10 years, you're never going to be an expert at it. Things change, things change daily, much less weekly, yearly. You need someone who will go through that with you. So by all means, 
at least two people to talk to to make sure you're you're getting competitive terms but i say prioritize expertise professionalism and your rapport with that person um, over pricing as long as they're in the range of what should be expected because we're talking about uh, a, a purchase here number biggest most expensive purchase you'll make the largest debt you're likely ever to take on and it is worth making sure that it is a smooth easy stress-free process so uh with that i appreciate you guys sharing your knowledge and expertise loan estimates are boring to us but interesting to consumers in that it's important to understand them. There's not a lot of good explanations out there of everything that goes into it. So again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing. And we'll be back next week with another crew of experts.